Hello and welcome back to It's Not Just Black and White, where the topics that we discuss are most likely going to be controversial. So if you're easily offended or even very difficultly offended, this may not be the place for you. As always, my name is Ellie Lake and I'm sitting here with Jordan Brown Yo. and Corey Barrett. Hello, hello. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for coming together today. How are you? Fantastic. Well, amazing. Amazing. So as, as we discussed, we're going to be taking on quite a heavy topic today. But before we set up or even tell you guys what the topic is, I'm going to go ahead and give you both a kind of a background or a set up story for what we're going to be discussing today. And I think it's incredibly relevant to the story. Let's hear it. So I watched this interview about a gentleman who wrote a book. The book is called Double Speak, and the gentleman's name is William Lutz, quite an intelligent guy. He's saying that double speak is a form of language that we have accepted and we formally use in our society. So it's, he says that it's a language designed yep. to evade responsibility and makes the unpleasant seem pleasant which a language that pretends to communicate but really doesn't and is designed to mislead while pretending not to, right? Uh -huh. He's saying that not only should we all be aware of this language so we can actually defend ourselves against certain policies or verbiage or how our politicians speak, he's saying that we should not even allow our leaders to use this language mm -hmm. um, because it's a, it can be incredibly um, corruptive in, in a society, is his yeah. point. It's then saying he, that this, this shouldn't be allowed in this society. Yeah, so what the be, book was exactly. Because he gives the example of sugar-free, right? Let's we won't get into like, oh, corporations are bad, but yeah. he gives the example of sugar-free, right? So somebody calls him and says, hey, so how can these guys use sugar-free on the packaging? Does that mean there's still sugars in it, right? Yeah, because sugar-free, when it comes to marketing, sugar-free just means that they've not added any table sugar or you know, yeah. these household organic sugars, whatever it is that you're using. They're just not putting that, but. Fructose, which is America's favorite artificial sweetener, yeah. we're using it. We're using it a lot. It's corn-based. All the thing is corn. So, you know, corn is really where our money is produced agriculturally. And the example I'll give you is like Mexican Coke versus uh, American Coke. Coke yeah. So that same guy asked William Lutz, uh, you know, so these products still have sugars? The, the guy said, yes. So he said what, you, what he should be using is, is something called a dietetic, which is governed by law. And I don't know if that still exists today because the FDA last year really lowered their standards on a lot of quality. Um, but basically that same guy who went to him is saying, yo, I, I'm a diabetic. I can only eat the, you know, sugar-free or this stuff, but still those sugars are really not good for him in that way. Yeah. And that's where this double speak get, gets lost, you know. Now, he references the book 1984, right, in the book. The book addresses the, um, it's by George Orwell, it addresses the uh, importance of language in a society. So the control and manipulation of society or to control and direct society, the role that language plays in that. But he says that the most important aspect of that is that power grows not out of, the, out of a barrel of a gun, right? Not ruled by terror. Not by the thought police. And he read this like an interview from the 80s. He references the thought police. That's the cancel culture today. What's funny. But it, it grows out of the power of language and knowledge. And then he goes on to say reality, right? He's getting kind of metaphysical with it. Reality is not an external thing. It exists not in the mind of the individual, which soon perishes, right? Because when you die, your belief system more or less is going to die with you unless you're part of a collective. And then he references political parties, unless you're part of a party, and he calls it the party. But in the mind of the party, he said, it, and that never dies, right? That belief or that idea never dies because it's a collective. 
and that collective is immortal. So to, sorry to cut you off, Absolutely. is what he's trying to conclude that the stories or what's being told is based off the collective of society and the truth is only based off the collective of society? Exactly, so he says next, he's saying that reality or what people believe is their reality is in a lot of ways determined and set by the party that they're affiliated with or the party that's mm -hmm. really running things. And he's getting, mm -hmm. he's getting quite political with it, yeah? yeah. Um, but he says, how else can a party do that? Basically, what the party says is reality, and that's what reality is real. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, how else would a party do that unless it's it's language? Right? Well, like, you know, sorry to cut you off again, Absolutely. but it's kind of like the, the winners write the textbooks, right? They write, yeah, the they victors, write history. Yes. The they victors write the history win books. and write the, write the history books. Exactly. Now a loser writes the history books. And, yeah. and, you know, that's something that we're going to talk about later in this episode, too, is that history written has its own biases but i we shouldn't go deep in that right now because we could go really deep yeah <laughs> okay but coming back to this so he's been, what he's saying basically is that power is from those that control language and those that control language control the way that we see the world and that's incredibly relevant to bring up today because our topic is a specific government program and we're going to be going deep into it and it's relevant to say that, you know, that's also language that has been put out to the public. So take it with a grain of salt, but not only that, it, it's something that's very real. This week, we are not going at all in the realm of conspiracy. And, and it, some of the things are really quite shocking. So back to doublespeak, right? Because that's the point of this, this whole rant. Sorry, Elsa. Um, he gives us three very real examples. The first example is Jimmy Carter, right? And Jimmy Carter's comments specifically on what was then the failed raid on the uh, U.S. Embassy in Iran uh, to free the hostages, right? He called it in an interview, he called that failed raid, he called it an incomplete success. <laughs> it was a failure, okay? He said the success was not complete. It was a horrible show. Everybody know. Basically, it was after that, nobody, nobody gave a shit about Carter after that, right? Yeah. And and he was saying that it was it was not a calculated thing that he said. He his knee jerk, his knee jerk reaction was to use that uh, vernacular in that order. Uh -huh. The next one is the nuclear weapons project when they're testing uh, with this testing of this is pre Cold War post World War. Um, that project was known as Peacemaker. Okay, it was called Peacemaker. Now. During his speech talking about the program, I think it might have been Carter, I don't recall now, but he, he uses the word, oh, peacekeeper, and it was a televised event, so since then it was known as peacekeeper, but the words were designed, uh, William Lutz argues, to make a nuclear weapon sound nice, okay? And, and this last example, this is what really drove it home for me, and Jordan Brown, this is what I was telling you that you're gonna like this one, okay? So, in Kansas City, around the same time, in Kansas City, they're trying to, or the government, state government, they're trying to build a certain uh, development, you know, in that city. Mm -hmm. Now, when they put on the paperwork for that, they called it a resource development park, okay? Huh. Sounds like a nice enough word. Ask me what a resource development park is. So what is that? It's a garbage dump. <laughs> and that's yeah. what I mean is the power, right? It's a garbage yeah. job. And these guys, these poor people of Kansas City, they wouldn't even have known unless they asked, until they asked. Yeah. Yeah, yo, what's a, what's a resource development park? And that, again, is going to be important later on when we talk about it. 
That's a great point where we can start talking about uh, one of the first pieces of content that we watched, which is the uh, 20, 2021 release of uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, right? this great is, movie. Yeah, this is a movie that Phenomenal. we watched. Um, uh, it's, it's about uh, a number of things, but let, let's get into it. So let's talk about what do you guys think about the movie. Judas and the Black Messiah is a dramatic retelling of the events surrounding the assassination of Fred Hampton. He was the charismatic leader of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panthers. And, you know, the various, you know, parties involved with, you know, a lot of events um, you know, surrounding it. But, you know, so the movie opens up uh, inside an intelligence-led briefing with the FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, he's going in, uh, explaining to his men as to how their program is intended to stop the rise of the Black Messiah, who is Fred Hampton. Yeah, absolutely, right? There's also a, a second protagonist or another main character, because as we know, it's about how you know the FBI was able to infiltrate um, this Black Panther Party. Yeah. And um, the main character or the other protagonist's name is Bill O'Neill, who was an African-American car thief who agreed to be an FBI informant after being caught. Right, and then it continues to kind of show the the chaos that ensues in this individual's soul, and they really break that down quite well, I think. Yeah, and you know, like the the one thing that uh, you see a lot with uh, you said Bill O'Neill, right? Yes. Uh, is that they use informants that you know uh, often quite violent or emotionally disturbed individuals mm -hmm. to present false testimonies or uh, to frame the COINTELPRO targets. And they also do a thing called snitch jacketing, uh, you know, where they make the targets of the the people that they're trying to put in jail or stuff like infiltrate. that. Yeah, yeah, or infiltrate or ruin their uh, persona in terms of their, their political following. Yep. Uh, they make them look like they are the police informant or the CIA agent. And so they will go in and, uh, you know, instill that emotional feeling from the from their followers and then they their their picture will be ruined and we saw that in a flashback or in a moment from bill o'neill where he met a another security officer yeah. and that security officer says oh yeah i was killing um we we pour boiling water over this snitch and we threw him in the the hudson or whatever, whatever river or whatever it was mm -hmm. yeah, um and in reality that guy wasn't the snitch that they poured boiling water over. It was the guy that was pouring the boiling water on him yeah. who was the snitch. Yeah. And he and the, the only reason Bill O'Neill found that out was because the FBI uh, guy that was talking to Bill O'Neill told him that. Yeah. So now yeah. he's questioning whether or not he's actually a snitch. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. He doesn't know, yeah, and it's really important, you know, to understand that they're going after like people who they can get you know, leverage on. Yeah. So uh, these FBI and like formants, you know, as we said, this guy he was a, a caught, you know, car thief, and it was either you go to jail for like 20 years or you work for us, right? And then in that in, in that sense, they're able to get them to work against their own people or course, their own yeah. cause when you're you know we've never been in this situation thank god but mm -hmm. when you're facing life for whatever reason you know that's mm -hmm. it's not an easy thing to go through or even like try to endure yeah you know i mean yeah. the, the movie does it does a lot of things what i found was interesting in the movie was that the role that you know federal agents were playing in basically grooming this individual and many more not only grooming but also like 
strategy meetings and guiding and it mm -hmm. was like it's so mm -hmm. planned out. Yeah. yeah, and they're acting like the FBI, like the people who worked in the FBI, not the informants, were the almost emotional support for these informants yeah. that were disturbed and didn't know where what was right or left mm -hmm. in terms of life and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and it really shows how uh, Bill O'Neill he felt very, um, I guess, like conflicted on the inside. And the movie does a really good job yeah. of like showing because he had this like turmoil inside mm -hmm. where he was believing everything that Fred Hampton was saying and doing, and he felt right, but. He had, but he knew that he was, he, was you know, puppet, right? it was yeah, like a yeah. checkmate yeah, already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's yeah. That, that scene where, you know, he's in there at the rally and uh, he's standing there and the FBI agent was like sitting there in the crowd, yeah. just looking at him. And he yeah. and, like, yeah. you know, and it, it, See, it, it like they did a great job also of like portraying Fred Hampton, especially mm -hmm. the, the actor who did as well. Like it was he was so charismatic right that to get that kind of uh, portrayal in a movie can be a little bit difficult but it's like i highly recommend that we even would watch it again like you watch yeah. it and you learn new things from that movie i mean you can watch it i guess we watch it on hbo max yes yeah so you yes, guys can watch it hbo max so it's on hbo max but in the opening scene in the opening scene he's giving a speech to students and um this is something that he said so long ago, and I think this is just so amazing, but it says, he's literally teaching this. This is one of the things that he's, he goes and he speaks to uh, groups of people about it. He says, war is politics with bloodshed, and politics is war without bloodshed. Uh, I yeah. don't know, I'll never forget Powerful quote. Yeah. What I, think? yeah. What and the thing about this whole movie is that they, they portray Fred Hampton as this great guy who's fighting for his people and a messiah right yeah. but then at the same time they're making you question whether or not he is being a messiah and because the fbi agent is trying to convince fred o'neill uh or sorry bill 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 o'neill yeah. that he's that that the black black panthers are actually a violent militia that are trying to mm -hmm. yeah. revolt mm -hmm. against the government or trying to destroy mm -hmm. our everyday livelihood yeah. mm -hmm. and then you kind of need to question on you know the fbi side like their motives are they in the right place because you like when you look at these black panthers and and all the guns that they had portrayed in at least the movie is how dangerous are they is are they really a a good movement or a bad movement and mm -hmm. I think they did a great portrayal of that because when you when you don't know whether or not yeah. one character is good or bad or the other character is good or bad yeah. and you really yeah. need to question both sides motives it kind of gives you the whole concept of this whole podcast is it, it's not just black and white there's you have two sides to each story yes. Yes. both are fighting for the yeah. right yeah. and like the liberty of their people exactly you know one of the things that really happened and it's you can see right there the power of different groups combining or coming together they're in the movie uh fred hampton and his lieutenants they go and see um the head of another let's say organization which was the crowns mm -hmm. and they go and they have this meeting that those guys were actually they had a lot more people and they had a lot more guns yeah that if you notice in the movie that's when he gave that's the first gun or a big gun that they, those guys got or like yeah. a rifle it was, from, it was them. from them yeah and uh, the leader of the crowns he pulls out a pamphlet he said this was left in the morning this was left in the morning in front of my house and it literally, it's a pamphlet and it's words and it says it's from the Black Panther Party. Yeah. And it's like these pamphlets that were passed out about all oh, the uh, 
Fred Hampton saying the crowns are bad and whatnot. Yep. And Fred Hampton looked at him, he's like, I didn't write this. He said, who wrote it? He, who wrote it? He said, the pigs. Meaning it was known then to them that, look at that, they, that's how you get in between groups. Yeah. They could have come together yeah. and had a really, actually a much stronger movement. Yes, yes. And on every level they were trying yes. to be And that's exactly what makes this movie so, so powerful is because it really dives in and shows you the, how the FBI was able to infiltrate these groups and create division and smear campaigns. Because you have to understand what the Black Panther Party originally was about right it was about like protecting black people from police violence you know like getting them out of the streets getting them jobs you know like educating, ed educating them having their own you know, like community right and uh that and they the fbi was you you, you have to so uh, you know as what like Corey said they're trying to protect their way of life right yep. this is back in like the 60s uh america was a very divided place right and that's what made this this fred hampton aka the black messiah so much of a threat such a big threat and why ultimately he had to be like eliminated because he was bringing the community together he also brought in the white community uh everybody was starting to like get behind this kid mm. he was so you can't forget fred hampton man. was only 21 years old when he was when executed. the fbi ordered his assassination execution mm -hmm. 21 years old yeah you know again it's a great movie i think uh, you know whoever's listening you guys go and find the movie and really watch through it attentively it's a really good movie but the movie at the end of the day is is still a movie and the literal depictions of specific events they have to be taken with a grain of salt because we can't just trust that this movie is going to tell us all the truth right yes. it's still hollywood baby yes um however the program that we wanted to talk about today is is COINTELPRO, okay? Uh, it is a legitimate program. You know, you can also look it up. Uh, it's created by the FBI during J. Edgar Hoover's time. I mean, you guys can uh, go to the FBI website, the U.S. National Archives. It's public. We are not in the realm of conspiracy, again. Um, but I have a couple quotes right here from it or describing it. It is basically created to infiltrate and discredit anti-war and civil rights organizations including the stated goal of preventing a black messiah from uniting them all yep. and this was the verbiage that you know political leaders were using at that time political leaders at the time were white let's yeah. just say that yeah. and fun fact it was just the 50th anniversary of when this whole COINTELPRO was exposed to wow. the public yeah. A couple uh, days ago, it was just, you know, the 50th anniversary of it. Yes. Wow. That was March 8th of 1971. Yeah. And wow. uh, it's a pretty crazy story, actually. Uh, essentially, a group of anti-war activists. Uh, I'm sure they were probably white, I believe. But there's no, like, detail as to who they were. Or, or we didn't dive that deep. But they broke into a FBI office in P Pennsylvania and stole every document that they could possibly find. Yeah, these are white guys. Come yeah. On. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they uh, you know, leaked it to the press, right? And the public found out as to what was going on in their America and made everybody like question everything that they had ever learned or what they had seen on TV or what they're being fed. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, I think it shaped how... Uh, 
how our country is, you know, today. Yeah, so the program was uh, like actually formulated or finalized, let's say, around 1956, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to give a little bit of the background, kind of what's going on during that time. I, I chose the years uh, 1945 to 1955, 1956. And uh, I'll talk about some global events because they're relevant as a post-war reconstruction industrialization era. So it's really relevant. But let's talk about it a little bit, right? So post-war, uh, World War II, there's a boom in industrialization. So really the world is seeing a lot of new things happening, boosts in a lot of different areas, and then that gives people or everyday people the privilege to you know, focus on social change and things like this as well, which is a good thing. But February 1945, they had the Yalta Conference, that's FDR, Stalin, Churchill, uh, meeting to decide when they fuck up Germany, how are they gonna split it up, yeah? Um, <laughs> It's saying, you know, how will Germany be divided, basically what they're doing. Um, then 1945, the U.S. atomic bomb is tested. So the world is a completely different place where, where now total annihilation of countries is on the table, yeah. is on the war table, right? Um, it's an era also of anti-communism, right? Communism is the real big enemy. Countries and power brokers were all placing bets on which ideology will prevail. And everybody who's not a communist, they don't like communists, okay? Um, then in 1948, April, there was the, the Trizonia, uh, which is like, again, France, Britain, USA, joint forces, they, it's like a new organization. Then this is the same organization that in 1948 established the Deutschmark after the Reichmark that uh, Hitler had and his best friends. Um, 1949, NATO is established, US, Canada, Belgium, France, etc. Post-war baby boomers are beginning to emerge. Yeah, everybody fuck it. Sorry. Um, people moved out of the inner cities and into the suburbs. There's a suburban boom. Now that the war is over and uh, African-Americans who fought for the war, or fought for us, sorry, um, as always returned with experiences that, you know, that they went through during the war. Completely different experiences if they had stayed and been oppressed in this country. Mm -hmm. um, Dave Chappelle has a joke. It's a funny joke. He's basically saying, he says this, he's like, you know, it's, it's hard to come back after the war and sit on the back of the bus when you're in Europe getting pussy for frivolous things like candy bars and shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's so funny. Like, of course, because yeah. their entire mentality shifted, right? They had certain freedoms. They could be with white women. You know what I mean? The, the things really change when, when like everything that you've ever known is different. Uh -huh. And not only that, let's not forget about the added effects of literal war, okay? Who knows all the traumas and all the heroines and all that stuff. Yes. Um, but now we're in the, during, this is like the reconstruction era, right? We're still in this time period now. Um, this, I, I found this kind of quote really kind of, um, it, it kind of messed me up. This is from uh, one of these NATO or government, I didn't get the exact source because I'm just trying to say that it's like a public thing and it's like, public uh, department saying words like this, but at the time, local governments, the National Democratic Party, okay, all thwarted the upward mobility or forward progression of black Americans. Uh, do I need to say that again? National Democratic Party openly got in the way of the upward mobility of African Americans. Never forget that the next time you choose yeah. Democrat, okay? Anybody who's listening. Um, KKK also at this time secretly friggin' killing black people all over the place. So about, mm -hmm. it was like 6,400 people, 6,500 people total. I mean, that's just the ones that we know. Yeah. Okay? Um, yeah. 
because obviously there's so many you don't hear of. Uh, Jim Crow, these black codes, everything is really, this is in full effect during this time. Um, it's kind of the end of it, but that shit really doesn't go away even till today, right? Like, even in California, I think in 2018, I was reading about an African-American male who was hung by a tree in California. So please, uh -huh. you know, these things don't go away. Yeah. Um, and also during this time, there's a huge rise of African-Americans in certain prominent positions or positions of local authority. Never like full-scale authority, right? So they're becoming teachers uh, and things like this, right? So uh, the examples of influence. Yes, in, in local communities, yes. always remember. Yeah. So there's Ida B. Wells. I mean, she's, she's a little bit more famous than some of the people I want to mention today. Obviously, we heard about Malcolm, Dr. King, all that. Um, there's Charlotte Hawkins Brown, okay? After, uh, this is in Mississippi, I want to say, after her school got its funding withdrawn, she started her own school called the Palmer Memorial Institute. So things like this, that's a huge shift if you're able to put the funding together at any point. You know, for anybody yeah. to do this, and for school especially, because they like you know they were sending children to work still. So what is school? Um, then there's Isaiah Montgomery. I really like this story of this individual. He created an African American only town of Mound Bayou, Mississippi. Okay, and here's what's interesting because the point is this: what I remember, I'm talking about what happened to African Americans, but this episode is not about race. Andrew Carnegie. White guy, Andrew Carnegie, Robert Barron, he funded a library, a hospital, three cotton gins, a bank, and a sawmill for that African-American only town. Wow. No, yeah. it's not just about race, remember. Um, I wouldn't say the number of lynchings, but when I saw that number, I was appalled. Um, then in 1948, Truman ordered the integration of African-Americans into the military. This is an official integration, which is also a freaking joke because we had the Tuskegee Airmen in that same war. Yeah. Before that, all the way to the Civil War, they were fighting, okay? They, yes. they, they conscripted everybody. Which I think Truman said, get out of here. Um, then 1954, Supreme Court, this is like uh, more, everybody knows about this one, Brown v. Board of Education, right? That's also changing things. Ed educational segregation is no longer a thing. What I'm trying to say here is this is an incredibly politically charged atmosphere around this time when this program was uh, created. And education plays a huge role for the progress of African-Americans during this time. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, they, these guys came back from war and men were promised better jobs or certain things and the African-Americans were still not getting these opportunities. Whatever. Yeah. They were upset. There's, there's, a, there's a few. 1955, Rosa Parks, 1957, Little Rock Nine, 1956, uh, I skipped it, but 1956, COINTELPRO is created, 1957, the Civil Rights Act, at least the first version comes into effect, right? Um, which didn't really have an effect until maybe the 1964 Civil Rights Act, or even then, you know, it's relative which state you're in. And it was created basically, the, the, at least 1957 was because literally, black people were going to vote and they would get picked up and fucked up and left to die. So that was to, so that everybody could get the votes. Yeah. But again, the Democrats or whoever was really running, they were Republicans at the time were running, but they did that again for the votes. Okay, let's not get yeah. it twisted. It's not about race. Um, it's, you know, it's not about race. It's about you know, power, right? Or the consolidation of power and preserving a way of life, right? And so we're going to go into this whole like counterintelligence program called COINTELPRO. Uh, its intended effects, and this is according to the document that you can you know, find yourself. The intended effect of FBI's compelgo was to expose, disrupt, misdirect, or otherwise 
neutralize groups that the FBI officials uh, deemed subversive. And subversive means a group who's essentially trying to supplant a way of life or a a, a set um, set a political or a lifestyle, uh -huh. right? And mm -hmm. so so I'll go down the list. Yep. So number one is to like create a negative public image for targeted groups. For example, through like surveilling acts, uh, then releasing some negative like personal information to the public. So they would do this by say like bugging uh, your apartment or whatever, finding out that you're cheating on your wife or something and you know, put that out there, smear yeah. you, right? And then so number two, break down internal organization by creating conflicts. This is like what like Corey said um, you know, earlier. So you would have agents inside send anonymous letters to, to create tension yeah. um, in, within an organization, right? Um, and also to like create dissension between groups. For example, by spreading like rumors that other groups were stealing money. Uh, this is also something that we, the movie portrays. Yeah. Uh, another one is to restrict access to public like, resources. For example, by pressuring nonprofit organizations to cut off uh, any type of you know, material support. And another one is to uh, restrict the ability to organize protests. For example, agents uh, were like, promoting like violence. So in the movie, the FBI informant, he essentially brought uh, some like, C4 or like dynamite. Right, mm -hmm. trying to make the group more violent, trying to make them do something destructive. Yeah, um, in the public's eye. Yes, in the public's yeah. eye. Right. Yeah. Oh, so now these guys are like terrorists, right? Yeah. If they were, and if they were to go through. Yeah, that. once you're, as we know, with America, once you're either labeled a terrorist or a potential terrorist, you might as well be a terrorist. Yes. They're gonna uh -huh. shut it down. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's yes. why we have the Patriot Act. Yes, and then the last one was to restrict the ability of individuals to participate in group activities. For example, by character um, assassinations, false arrests, and and surveillance. Heavy. heavy. It's, it's real heavy, and you, and you see all these things, and you really kind of question the realm of democracy that we live in. Is Do we live in a democracy, or, or, and what's the level of democracy that we actually live in? You know, yeah. Democracy is supposed to be by the people, for the people, and everything like that supposed to have all these freedoms but by creating organizations that are like this that watch over the civilizations and make sure that we don't go against the status quo mm -hmm. yeah it begs the question do you really live in a democracy or or by doing the things that these people are doing are you striving or or leaning towards communism See, or, like or things or like Russia where you know it's technically a democracy but at the same point there, there's only one power and you yeah. can't fight against that power yeah. because if you fight against that power they will destroy you they want to disappear you right? they, have, yeah. they have like these people 16 people at the top who like live like the Romanovs yeah and yeah I don't want, I don't want to talk, I, I love Putin I don't want to talk bad about Putin okay don't, <laughs> you love him huh? I don't love him I, I'm just saying I love him okay I love him okay? that's don't, dangerous to yeah. say in America dude yeah. I, I don't love him I just don't want to say anything bad about him alright because I'm more afraid of Putin than I am of uh, Americans alright let me just say that <laughs> but you know you bring up a good point because what does democracy imply democracy implies a you know centralized focus on what the people want right I have a book here, uh, again, it's Noam Chomsky, it's one of the books that he wrote, it's called Media Control, The Spectacular Achievements of Propaganda. Uh, funny title, but it, in here, it's, it's back to that perception, back to that reality, back to what is perception, back to what is reality, and what is that defined by, if not by the party. There's just a small sentence here, right? So, he says, 
Pick the topic you like. The Middle East, international terrorism, Central America, whatever it is. The picture of the world that's presented to the public has only the remotest relation to reality. I mean, that's, wow. a, that's a heavy one. That's a, that's a real heavy one. And I mean, that ties back to what we've said before, that only the winners write the history books. Yeah, and only, exactly. only the winners can tell you what reality is. And, and, and it even ties back in today's realm of, you know, the last administration, you know, not to get too political, at least in this sphere, but if you tie last administrations in and you see the news media, they didn't want him to win, but he did end up winning. Mm. And then the next administration comes in and they paint a terrible picture of him and like they're painting the entire last four years. And that's because he won. And now they're going to try and erase him from the history books or just talk about how good they are compared to the, the administration before. Um, and I, I just think that ties so much into today as it, you know, it's tied back into the 1950s. Yeah. Uh, so this leads me actually to a uh, nice little less segment. Uh, so I kind of wanted to go over some of the groups that were known targets of this FBI operation. Uh, obviously at the time, it was the communist and socialist organizations uh, and obviously all the black nationalist groups, whether that be uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, you know, Malcolm X, Black Panthers, all that. Farrakhan. Also, the white supremacist groups, including the Ku Klux Klan, and a broad range of, of organizations that were like labeled called the New Left. And these were like students for a democratic society. Um, also, any groups that were like protesting uh, the Vietnam War at the time, and most importantly, organizations and individuals associated with, with the women's rights uh, movement. Mm -hmm. And I kind of wanted to, I guess, to speculate on this because uh, so last week, the, the current FBI director had testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee mm -hmm. uh, involving all, of the, all the security failures of the January 6th um, insurrection. Yeah. And mm -hmm. basically, I wanted to get into how the FBI knew that there were these threats, all these existing threats, but yet, as we most like famously know, nothing was really done to deter these th these threats so this made me like thinking okay yeah you know, can pro uh we saw like some of the the public smearing by you know, through the media so so the did bill. they let these groups you know infiltrate the capitol building just so that way they could publicly smear them and most likely you know demonize trump and his following right and as we know after this there was mass arrests uh, there's a lot of political will to allow this to happen and of course all the bad press involved see you know what you've brought up right here is a very good point because this is something straight out of sun tzu and the art of war which is if you have two factions that are against you if you have two enemies okay what you need to do is one way or another get those enemies to fight amongst each other if you're a good tactician or a good general. Uh -huh. And once there emerges a victor between those two enemies, then you come in after that enemy has depleted themselves from war and you take them both out like that. <laughs> that's when you have, and even this is that's like... That's the whole like divide and conquer, That's exactly right? yeah. what Sun Tzu, that's where it's from, divide yeah. and conquer. Yeah. When you keep people warring beneath, uh, amongst yeah. themselves, yeah. you know, you, the Senate can... And, and I still have your book. You know, by the way, Corey, The Art of War. Uh -huh. I still have it. I it's need a powerful to, book. I, 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 I need to return to that it. to you. I've had it in my possession for like 
three years now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's one of the most powerful yeah. books I've ever read in my entire yeah. life. Yeah. It's made me realize the power that is behind strategy and especially political influence and how mm -hmm. how in-depth people can go with political power and the ability to play life like it is a game of chess. Yeah, and how know. relatable those same moves are in every aspect of existence. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, you know, kind of tying back to what you're talking about, um, Jordan, is uh, the concept that COINTELPRO used or the... Uh, the strategy that they used of neutralization. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a book, uh, you know, work with me, by this book called COINTELPRO, The Untold American Story by Paul Wolf. Mm -hmm. He uses this uh, great phrase about neutralization. Uh, and I'm gonna read it right here. As explained on record by the FBI, it doesn't necessarily pertain to the apprehension of parties in the commission of crime or the preparation of evidence against them or securing of the judicial conviction, but rather to simply make them incapable of engaging in political activity by whatever means. Just like the insurrection, you know, in pure speculation, maybe they did just let them storm the Capitol knowing that it was going to happen mm -hmm. so that they could use that whole scenario against the last administration like oh if you yeah. let this continue this administration is going to cause more, more. Yeah, yeah there's going to be more yeah. of this and so that they Finance use this to cancel like essentially trump or the yeah. last administration yeah, exactly. to give once more you power. label that group as fanatics everyday people or voting people are going to be like yep they're, they're fanatics yeah well where i was like thinking is did they label them um subversive right because those are the groups because they're essentially trying to uh, change so, the status quo. So right? in a very technical def definition, yeah, they are subversive yes. because they're against the status quo or against yeah. the norm that we mm -hmm. would be have accepted. Exactly. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, in the previous time when COINTELPRO was supposedly organized and was around, you know, yeah. we don't know if it's still around now, but mm -hmm. while it was around, they actually used neutralization against King, or I should say that they tried to use it against King but they try to do... You're talking about Dr. King. Yes, Dr. Martin Luther King and everything like that. They tried to use a strategy against him, but they personally attacked him. They didn't go to the people. They went to him in uh, in a personal sense. And, well, I mean, uh, the attack on him is an attack on all those yes. people. Yes. He's, he's yes. their chosen... He is them. He's, he's the face. He wasn't an elected official, but he was their chosen yes. person. But yes. what I meant was that they actually went to him in person. They tried to use his... Well, uh, sexuality and his his love to you know be sexual with women and stuff like that yeah. against him yeah. and supposedly they had these tapes where he was with women and they would they would they wired like back to the wiretap yeah back to when you know we were talking about the wiretaps they supposedly wiretapped uh, his hotel room or yeah. his apartment or whatever and he yeah. supposedly had these women over and had sex with them and they had these tapes upon him and they went to King himself and said, hey, we will release these tapes to the public and say yeah. how, how much of a womanizer you are, how much you sexualize and use prostitutes and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Smear campaign. And, you know, they, they, they said and in this book, like I said, by uh, uh, Paul Wolf. Yeah, they said this to they said this to King. They said, King, there is only one thing left for you to do. You know what it is. You have just 34 days in which you to, you can do this. And this number has been selected for a specific reason. It has uh, a definitive practical significance. You are done. 
there is but one way out for you. You better take it before your filthy, abnormal, fraudulent self is bared, barred to the nation. And so they're essentially threatening him. Mm -hmm. And what happened was King didn't back down. He said, hey, like, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And these FBI agents, they went to the press. They're like, hey, release this. Yeah. Release this information. But the, the caveat was the press was like, no, we don't want to do this. We don't want to take the journalists that they were going to were like, I don't want to take on and this then story. They become subversive. Yeah, but yeah. The, but but the, but but it kind of like the, the what happened was that the FBI didn't realize how much power kind King yeah. had over yeah. over people in general and, and how emotionally yeah, yeah respect that they had for them. See, like I think what's a dead sentiment in our time is like. When somebody was standing up, you know, and speaking for the people, all people, equality, uh, let's say going back to Jesus, Muhammad, those were characters that did this, right? Peace. People were drawn to them. We don't have this thing today. If somebody stands on the corner and starts speaking like this, or speaking about revolution, we're going to call him a nut. Yeah. We're going to yeah. say, hospitalize this guy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Same yeah. thing in that song I was telling you guys last week. He said... The earth was flat. If we went too far, you would fall off. Now the earth is round. If the shape changes again, everybody would start to laugh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you're kind of stuck in these ways. Yeah. And those ways create that cycle of the same shit, same shit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Ver, what a heavy topic. What a heavy program. I think we brought up a lot of good points. Um, but to transition and to continue a little bit, I want to double back on the notion because we talked a lot about you know African-American oppression, so on and so forth, but and American oppression, but I think what's relevant and what we need to say is that it's not necessarily about race and it's not necessarily about control, it's about authoritative governments and the procedures that roll out from underneath them. Um, so uh, yeah. I wanted to you know uh, bring up a story. That I didn't create this. I didn't create this story fully, but I watched it in a show. It's called Power, and I, I made my own things with it. But I'm gonna give you like what they said and do my own dramatic effects. But I'm gonna say all these things to show you that it's not about race, and then we'll talk about what this program that we just spoke about looks like in other countries and across. Uh, On the global scale. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I call this story the Councilman story. <laughs> okay. Um. So I'll tell you guys about a city councilman, okay? Let's say he represents a lower income community. For example, let's say it's Queens, New York, all right? Let's also say that this councilman is black, which right now is irrelevant and only comes into play later, but even then will not matter. Now, in order, in order for the community to get behind him with the votes, he needs to promise them a direct benefit or some sort of public good, right? Which he'll make that promise to them. Easy money, you know, he, he's gonna make a lot of promises in his politi political career. Um, so let's say what he wants to do for the people is build a public children's recreation center for lower income children to go and, uh, you know, do some recreational activities. Now, in order to get that public building developed, he'll need to use public taxpayer funding. Now, is the government going to pay for the entirety of the project? Absolutely not. Tax revenue allocations are budgeted pre-collection. So maybe, maybe he'll be able to get 30% of the funds for the project. The rest he'll have to raise on his own or with his team. 
most likely he's going to host an event and invite wealthy private citizens to raise funds. Most likely these wealthy people are white in a state like New York, but again, it's irrelevant. But he'll have to make these guys the same or whatever promises they want the same as he made to the bottom. Except the working man is used to being stepped on and will never come to collect on the promise, but the wealthy man will. And if the, if the councilman wants to stay in power or maintain his power, he is going to abide by whatever they ask. Now, man. let's That's also powerful. say, and, and again, as I go deeper in the story, I mean, it's just a thing that I like, like put the dots together. It's just a thing that I put the dots together, but really like, what a heavy thing. So now let's say that that this councilman also has ambitions to become the governor of this great state of New York. For anyone to control the policy of an entire state, they need to be accepted by majority of the people. We're a democracy. Majority of private citizens, both in the lower income constituents who put him in power in the first place, or put him in public office to begin with. Um, but, he, but to make it to the highest state level of public office, he also has to make the promises to the wealthy private citizens in whatever galas, fundraising events, however. And when they come to collect, he will abide. And let's say that one of those elite parties says, hey, you know, this rec center that you're talking about is not that great of an idea after all. I want to build a commercial development here and uh, I think it'll equate to more taxes, tax revenue for your community. Well, Mr. Rich Man, I think that sounds like a phenomenal idea. Now, my thing is this. When he accepts the commercial development, he will neglect the same everyday constituents that put him there in the first place. And when he inevitably crosses that line and fucks over those people, then what does it matter that he's black? He fucked the people. He went to the dark side. Keep the story in mind for the next segment here, all right? Because we're going to talk about what breaking dissent looks like in other countries. And the tactics are the same across the board, varying on degree of authoritative control. And I want to say once again, that it is not about race. So if it's not about race, then what is it about? You know, in my opinion, it's about, as we've spoken about Chomsky so many times, it's about those that hold power and those that do not. And you know, Ali, that actually is a perfect segue into, or just, you know, tie into the fact that it is about controlling power and controlling territories per se. Mm -hmm. And, you know, tying it back to COINTELPRO, uh, you know, even in Puerto Rico, there is the independent movement or the, the movement that wanted to separate from the United States. But obviously that's very difficult with the United States being such a huge power and then you have Puerto Rico, it's small, it doesn't have the strong military. But you had this leader, Mara Bras, who was, you know, the leader of this uh, movement called the Independent Independistas. Uh, and at a time, you know, during the end, he was stressing out, he was, he had bad health, he was freaking out, and his son died. His son died, and then the notes that were left was that, or the information that was left of how he died was that he was killed by a man in a black sweater with a black jacket or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, he was shot in the head and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then there was a letter sent to Mari Bras 
And this letter was so distressing to Mario Bros that he ended up having a quote unquote heart attack wow. because of his bad health, his bad uh, emotional well-being and stuff like that. Supposedly he had a heart attack only because of that. And based off the FBI documents and the records that it was actually because of the COINTELPRO or be the speculation is that COINTELPRO had a huge role in this destruction of the leader of the independistas mm. or, uh, and stuff like that. Wow. And it ties back into your, you know, quote that it's, it's not about freedom. It's about the, it's about the ability to control freedom yeah. and by giving these countries or territories the ability to say, Hey, you're under our wing. Now you're able to be free. You're only allowed to be as free as we want you to be. Yeah. And you know, I think it's a great point for you to bring up um, Puerto Rico because it is the forgotten state. It's the one state that doesn't have a star on our flag. Yeah. And they, and obviously like we know that uh, after their last um, um, natural disaster, we don't really take care of them. Their, their infrastructure there is not so Well, yeah, dude, remember during this last time where they needed the most water, there was a, a landing strip, a plane landing strip, that was filled with bottles of water that never went to the aid places that were supposed to go. Yeah. They just left and the water expired. Yeah, yeah but then, was, and we also questioned at the same time, like, oh, you know, they're, they're in damage, they, they're in need. Okay, and then, like, the poli politicians were like, yeah, they're mean, but why should we send it to them? Yeah, you know, well, Trump you, was the, bashing them at the time. Remember, he was like, "Oh, they're a mess." They yeah, exactly. Take care of themselves. Yeah. But yo, they're they're a state. Yeah, they're, 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 they're a part they're of us. They're supposed to be protected. I will them. say, I've been to like Puerto Rico, right? It's a beautiful place, and uh, honestly, yeah, like it's now that I look back on it, it's it's kind of interesting that they are a state because it is not a English speaking island. It's all Spanish. Yeah. So they're because they were a Spanish colony. Right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So we're, it's very like very different from we. That's where here. first even like Africans were brought the yeah. Caribbean and that's where yeah. it spread. Yeah. That's where and, slavery is. And you know, uh, tying, you know, even back into the independistas, sorry, I'm having trouble saying this word. Yeah. Uh, but you know, back to the book uh, by Paul Wolf. He even quotes saying, lethal COINTELPRO operations against the independistas continued well into the 1980s. Wow. But that contradicts the fact that, wow. it, that COINTELPRO was supposed to end up in, 19, in yeah. 1971. For yeah. sure. And as Alfredo Lopez recounted in 1988, over the past 15 years, 170 attacks Beatings, shootings, and bombings of independence organizations and activists have been documented. So Not just crazy. like speculations, they've been documented. There have been countless attacks and beatings of people at rallies and pickets to say nothing of the independistas walking the streets. The 1975 bombings of a rally at, I'm gonna butcher this, but Mayaguas, that Me killed two restaurant workers was more dramatic, but like the other 170 attacks, remained unsolved. Although many right-wing organizations claim credit to these attacks, not one person has been arrested or put on trial. And, like I said, this is all quoting Paul Wolf in his book, a clear instance of direct FBI involvement in anti-independistas violence is the Cerro Maravilla 
episode of July 25th, 1978. And we don't need to dive into that, but... You know, but that's what, you, what you're reminding me of right here. It's funny, it's even the same word. When I was, uh, when I was living abroad and I went to Spain, I went to Barcelona, I went during the middle of their riots. They were independentista. I don't know, I'm sorry, I messed that up. Yeah. They were like people who wanted the independence. So Catalonia is that state there, right? Catalonia, it used to be the Catalonian Empire. Mm-hmm. It's not that same power anymore, okay? But that's, I think that's important. Because you're trying to be an independent state when you're surrounded by Europe, okay? Like it's you're, you're like a city that's trying to be an independent country yeah. in the middle of a European Union region. Yeah, you're, that's like California. They're gonna you know, try to stop. They're, yeah. gonna, they're gonna wreck you. The <laughs> European Union, they'll just cut yeah. off trade. You're gonna, yeah. you're, you're gonna make it. Bro, they're gonna roll in the tanks. That's what's gonna happen. Dude, dude what's funny you say roll <laughs> that's in the tanks. That's what would happen to California it's, if we tried to break it. It's up. funny you say roll in the tanks. People told us not to go. We were like, let's go. So we went. It was basically a revolution happening. We couldn't use some streets because they were locked down. I literally saw riot police and I saw from afar people getting hosed. Oh, yeah. You know? Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it's very. You never told me that story. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of stories. There's a bunch of stories. There's a bunch of stories I left out too. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it, it was quite an intense time. What's funny is like we were going from a taxi from one place to another. And the guy was like, oh, I should be protesting now. You know, he was in the Batista. Yeah. But he's trying to make that money. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. And it all comes down yeah. to that mighty dollar. And I think this is a, you know, like a good point to kind of like transition to other places that we see happening all across the world. The squashing of dissent, right? Yeah. Uh, we see in this little country, I brought it up in one of our past episodes, is, is uh, Myanmar. This is one of the biggest things that's happening in the world right now that's being ignored almost. It gets a little bit of press coverage, but not nearly as much as it should. And it begs the question, sorry to cut you off, but it begs the question of why is it being cut off? Why aren't, like, why isn't every single news article talking about this? I'm so glad. And why are the liberals not up in arms about it? I'm so glad you guys brought this up. So check this out. So Myanmar, they're, 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 um, the coup leader or whatever, the head of the military, he, uh, they, they, they just the hired, um, a press, uh, a press you know, agency. Could, yeah. A press agency or whatever. Yeah. And mm-hmm. they're out saying now that the democratic party like leaders, they were trying to bring that country closer to China. Right. Uh-huh. And, you know, as you know, like we're against China, we're in Cold War. Right. And yeah. he says that it's his intention to bring the country closer to the United States. Yeah. So what is this? So are they is this is this quiet because they want this military coup to like take place yeah. and for these guys to stay. So that way they can eventually come under more U.S. control. Or is this just a like you know political like tactic? Again, because we know the more military places, it seems like kind of a China route. Right? Again, this is how the U.S. Um, interacts with the global community. What you just described is in our mo, in our modus operandi, is what mm-hmm. we do, right? We, for instance, there's a there's a country where we want relations. We try to do trade negotiations with them. They don't want to do that because they don't like the U.S. for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So you instill a coup, and I'll tell you the country that I'm talking about when I tell you, you instill a coup, you put a leader in place who has sympathies towards our cause, okay, which just means they're going to give us oil or whatever it may be, whatever resource, 
We'll put that guy in place. We'll support him. We'll even arm him and we'll even train him. Yeah. Okay. And after that guy inevitably goes nuts because he got all this power, starts yeah. killing his own people. We're like, oh, who saw this coming? Yeah. <laughs> At that point, you cut your losses. At that point, you cut your losses. You walk away. And the yeah. example, the country that I'm talking about right here is Iraq. Iraq. Sorry, I'm supposed Iraq. to say I'm supposed to say it Iraq, right? Because I yeah, must yeah, yeah. But it, this is something that you see over and over. Yeah, again. yeah. And I mean, it makes sense because this is the military who's assumed all the control here, right? And maybe they are in the interest of of the U.S. Yeah, I mean, this is UK pure one. speculation, also. Yeah, yeah, all speculation, pure. So now we are in the realm of conspiracy, if you will, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you also yeah. have to, you know, it kind of ties back into what Ali was saying before of how. You have to create instability in these in these countries of yes. interest That's a great to come in and say, "Hey, I'm the savior of this instability. I'm yes. gonna I'm gonna create stability yes. and make yes. and make everything calm again. I'm gonna I'll provide you with resources or finances or whatever it is, mm -hmm. and then we will be the saviors of everything like that. Yeah. And that obviously speculation again it begs the question of who's creating this instability or is there instability? Was it so? Was it self instability, or, or was is, it created by a third party? Or even deeper, is it still like somebody is creating this instability, or now our global systems are set up that it only creates instability? Ah, uh, this could be true. It's the deepest hell. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's because, and like you know, kind of feeding off that point of just the person, like a person by themselves, they question everything. Everybody questions everything they hear. Oh, is it a conspiracy theory? Oh, is this actually real information? And I'm just being fed this. So now nobody knows what's true anymore because yeah. nothing is really true. And even when facts are actually presented to you, people like there's always going to be that party that's like, I don't believe those facts because they're given by A, B, and C. If yeah. the shape of the earth changes again, we're gonna laugh. Yes, there you go. <laughs> yeah, even yeah. if it was the truth. And yeah. What's really like shocking is because in like Myanmar, the so the group that got arrested or and like eradicated, this was a a a democratically elected you know, president or whatever, and the whole like party, right? And uh, the U.S. has largely remained like silent, but this is a strategic place because we know that Myanmar is a like Asian you know, country. And what do you mean by that? So it is uh, in that. No, that, I know what you mean by Asian, but what's the relevance of it being an Asian country? Because uh, this, so the U.S. could ultimately use this as a like military installation, right? Uh, or for to get to, closer to China. To get closer to China to put more pressure on China. We see this Phenomenal happening all point. over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't make the link, but that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. So it could be a big grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. because even you know we were fighting over the Pacific Islands back in, you know, World War Two yeah. of, you know, who's going to have that territory. And yeah. if, you know, Japan were to have that territory, that would give them a huge yeah. power over the United States yeah, because they could build military bases. And check this out. Now, now in Japan, we got like three bases in Japan, our whole Pacific yeah, we just in Japan because it's close. But we, dude, if anybody in the world has ever been checked, it, it's Japan. Okay, because <laughs> you know because they have their own. Not to laugh, but man, they have their yeah. own massacres. They went into mainland China and ruined those people. Okay, they could have yeah. eradicated China if we didn't stop them. They yeah. they the were US they were just them. as barbaric as the French before them and yeah. the Romans before yeah. them. Yeah, they, they they literally 
were gonna eliminate all of China. It was gonna be Japan. Yeah. 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 yeah Not to laugh at people's deaths. There yeah. was there's this show Curb Your Enthusiasm, Larry mm -hmm. David, right? So there was this episode there. There's this guy, there's Yoshi or something, and he said, oh, so how'd you come to this country? Oh yeah, my grandfather was a kamikaze pilot. He said, okay, if he was a kamikaze pilot, how are you, how are you alive here, or what's going yeah. on? He said, no, he didn't, he didn't crash into the plane, he grazed the plane. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I think I've Let's actually seen that topic. episode. Yeah, back too. on topic, back but, on topic. Yes. But to bring it back on topic, that's kind of like, that's a good close on Myanmar because what we should shift to is where else? What else have we seen even in this year or last year? Where is this happening around the world? And I want to take it to India because this is something this is something that's been happening even when we started this journey of this podcast. But this is something I think that is incredibly relevant, which is the Indian protests. And not only is it a media blackout globally, right? They've censored and shut down the internet, right? The point that I have to say about this and... You could call this speculation or whatnot. If you're a true patriotic Indian, I'm, I'm sure you're going to disagree with me, but it's okay. I was once you, so don't worry. Um, here's the thing that we know. India is the picture-perfect candidate for what corruption in government <laughs> looks like. Please, feel free to disagree with me. But if you actually know how these guys function, I'm not counting, I'm not discounting Pakistan either. I'm not discounting China either. I feel like a lot of people don't even really know what happens in India. It's so quiet as to their like political structure and what happens there. We, so unless I mean, you really dive into it, you, like, you don't know. So they're a parliamentary democratic republic, okay? Wow, that's a mouthful. Whatever that means, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever, whatever that means. But they have a parliament, they have these decisions, but again, remember that parliaments are made of people, people who are flawed, people who have insecurities, and when insecurity mixes with power, it's troubling for people who they oppose. Um, India functions like this, right? India will... Literally because there's villages, farms, and like uh, underprivileged people all over the place, right? Half of the population. They'll basically go into that place. They want to develop something, corporate buildings, whatever. That's because they're, they're a developing nation. They're going to build it. Yeah. They're going to kick those people out. They're going to give them a bullshit check and say, because that's probably more money than that guy will make in his lifetime, he's going to accept. And that's that. And next thing, they're literally homeless. They have nowhere to go. And then they, for instance, have to go to a gentrified urban city and they live in filth. And they don't know how to live in that type of like city because all they've known is this little area, really this little a... farm or whatever. But Indian politics works as if you oppose them, they'll mafia style fuck you up. Okay? It's just like Russia and China, they like disappear. And Pakistan. So I'll Pakistan, give you. Okay. So there was a. This was in rural Pakistan in the north, okay? They, this was a few years back, they, uh, and he was a political party leader. The opposing party bought the police of that region, finally, made deals with them, sent them to that guy's big giant palace or house, and they literally found in one room, in one room, I don't know, it's, it's probably not a lot of stacks, but in one room they found $130 million. Dollars. Wow. In yeah. one room, sitting in the room. Yeah. Not Cash hidden, money. not hidden, just just in the rooms, like yeah. here, there, everywhere. Uh -huh. So, what I'm trying to say here is that this is, it's really about power. The fact that that other political party member sent the police, they, oh, I didn't get the main point. They actually shot that guy. Uh, okay. <laughs> they shot that guy, the other political party came into place. That, that's the main thing. They found that's all that money, killed him, took yeah. the money, took power. 
and that's wow. really how it goes in these places. And by now, if they're literally one, it's one thing to censor certain websites on the internet, to shut entire networks down. That's like China level authoritarianism. Man. Yeah. And they say, you know, another thing, they're bringing back. So India has this like Hindu like Orange Party is their shit. It's like a Modi's party. These guys are notoriously they 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 kill a lot of us. Now what's happening here again is like this is getting like this nationalism political charge in India and for instance like this is a real big problem that you know Hindus don't eat cows Muslims eat cows so there'll be cows being transported from one place to like for Muslims to eat those guys will kill sometimes uh, the driver of that car or truck they'll kill or kill him or beat him up and they're like, oh, don't deliver because the cow is sacred because you yeah. go get slaughtered. Yeah. Yeah. But that's not how you handle people who you disagree with, okay? Yeah. They're literally picking them up. Nobody says anything about it. Wow. Nobody says anything about it. But if you look at the protests, right? This is the main Indian protests that we no longer hear about. They're about <clears throat> agricultural policy. They're about these farmers who make up the country getting wrecked by the hand of authority. And when they protest, when Hindus, Muslims, everybody is coming together, which is the first time in a long time that that's happened anywhere, let alone that place. I can't, we saw some stuff. That means I can't even imagine the things that we didn't see in terms of masses of people that gathered and in terms of what they did to stop that dissent. Because we saw it, we saw some of it. So what did they do to stop that dissent? Because I haven't seen it. I've only heard, I, I've seen uh, all these like pictures of these masses of people, all different cultures within India all together. It was like hundreds of thousands of people all like sitting outside the capital in Delhi. They've done what they've always done. They've sent, I, I'll describe to you what happens because this happens here everywhere. They send police with riot gear, helmets, sticks, shields, equipment, hoses tanks if necessary. They'll send them and they'll quite literally, physically break dissent. Yeah, so this brings me back, you know, when you were talking about uh, the Hindus that were picking up all the Muslims, and it seems like a common trend, right? There seems to be a war on Islam all around the world, right? I mean, we see it there in, in India. We also see it in China, here in the U.S. at one point, uh, you know, Islam was like demonized. and. I want to ask you this like question, why isn't uh, the Muslim world, these Muslim countries up in arms about this? Why aren't they trying to like, protect their people and their faith? I'll tell you one thing, okay? 60% of the Muslim countries, they're not doing so hot in themselves, okay? So they can't do something. Like the audacity for them to do foreign relation work when they're bombarded on the inside is, is not there. They That's can't true. do anything. They have their own like human rights issues, right? And the second is, you know, let's say certain Middle Eastern governments are a little bit more authoritative. So it could easily be seen that their own criminals are people that don't, you know, align with their ideology. They're going to do the same things to them most probably. So okay. let's just say that. But so what about like China? Because uh, yeah, you bring they up have these point. like modern day um, concentration camps yeah. that is it's quite alarming and yeah, you know man. what it's not just like the Muslim world it's the whole world that's been totally silent on, on the issue there was an interview about an ambassador either the ambassador from China to either Australia or Canada one of these places 
And this was when the video first surfaced of the Uyghurs uh, in lines outside the train being put onto the train. It, it's the, just like World War II. So like the really guy, back in like 1942 or something. The interviewer <laughs> asked the ambassador, "Here, look, you're doing this to to these people. We can, we're seeing them right here." The guy sees it. <laughs> literally <literally> watching you. <laughs> the, yeah, the ambassador sees it. Nope, it's a made-up video. He's a goddamn representative, okay? He's a freaking ambassador. He's denying what I myself can see right there. I'm looking at it. Yeah. And I think it's absolutely fucking absurd. Then let's not even talk about the Muslim world, that the rest of the world has not said anything. Whole world. Who cares what religion they are? It is people in concentration camps in 2021. And I, if, like, don't get me wrong, I completely agree with you, and I think that what they're doing is wrong. It 100% is wrong. Hmm. But then you have to, the, the question is still there that it is China. That's like saying if Russia was killing or committing genocide against another race or ethnicity or religion or whatever, that America can't just go after them. Like, then you'll have another Cold War or you'll have a nuclear war. Like, we can't just go after China and of be like, course. hey, you're killing all these Muslims and we like we don't agree with it. They'll be like, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? But that's, and that's the whole point. We have NATO and the UN to regulate I completely shit. agree. And yes, we have all those organizations and I think that those organizations should definitely take care of it. And I think that, like, that causes the other problem. But then on the other end of things, of why maybe America isn't so active towards fixing that problem is that after 9-11, we criminalized Muslims, Islam, any, any, any person who came from well that, right is that if they, if we, we criticized them and criminalized them in a way, cut them out from society, and even a couple years ago, we said, no, you can't even come to our country anymore. If you fly yeah. from this country, you can't come. No, like we're, you're out. Yeah, but and that was a joke because none of the none of the bombings. Yes, but the but the, from the, the Muslim countries. Yeah, yeah, yes, but the yeah, point yeah. but the point That's, that I'm trying to make is that now if we, you know, flip the coin and say, oh no, we actually support the Muslims and 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 Islam and stuff like that. Yeah, it's almost like we're supporting everything that we criminalized for the past ten years or since 9/11. And I'm not saying that all Muslims are, are extremists or anything like yeah, what what was caused in 9/11, but it it's kind of we're giving a controversy towards what we strived for for the past 19 years. Yeah, years. yeah, I don't think. Uh, come on, the United States is not going to say anything. Obviously, um, they love it. I mean, this is at least in North America, it's kind of like a weird thing, right? When I was studying abroad, I knew this uh, guy who was from Canada. And he was telling me blah 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 that he likes Trump. Okay, the guy has no reason to like Trump. Okay, <laughs> our policy at that time we didn't even have USMCA did not affect him. Okay, in fact we wanted to get into their markets and ruin their milk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he only liked Trump for the racism. Okay, and there is like an elite individual, somebody his dad is somebody whatever. The fact is that it exists, yeah, white guy, but regardless, I'd like that exists. You know, and in a place like Canada where Muslims are accepted more. I think America will intervene when it is in their interest to, or when they have an excuse to. So we look back to like Nazi Fair Germany, enough. right? Nobody stopped them from yeah, like they, harming the Jews up until like it was wartime and we were there, like you know, like and the fighting. depression happened well, until, and we needed money. 
Yeah. No, but we we were like quote unquote publicly we were uh, coerced or like provoked into entering after into he invaded Poland. War. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that that's what I'm saying. It's like kind of like an appeasement. But this is getting totally off track. Yeah. Because yeah, this segment isn't on like foreign policy, right? Yeah. yeah. This yeah. segment speculation, is on you know, is yeah. on is on you know Cointelpro and what's happening here in America and all around the world in terms of squashing dissent, right? Yeah. And I, I, I think uh, America, there still is like this beautiful light at the end of the tunnel because at the end of the day, we can come on here, do this podcast and bring up these old like programs which might have shaped America, right? And they're also, it's, we have like the liberty to know about it, talk about it, express it and improve on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but improve on it is relative. What the fuck are we going to do about it? I mean, yeah. you know, we're just here having this like conversation yeah. and all we can do is, uh, you know, like, share our opinions. Yeah, right. and, and I agree with you. And, you know, it, when we're tying it back to COINTELPRO, whether it be one person or a hundred people, um, I think one of the greatest phrases of the past two, two decades comes from a kid's movie, A Bug's Life. I don't know if you guys remember watching Bugs Life, but there was a time when the you know the whole movie's based off you know the grasshoppers control the ants, the the ants take all the food and give them give the food to the the grasshoppers and stuff like that. Yeah. But how I kind of correlate CoIntelPro to yeah forced labor, how I correlate CoIntelPro to like reality is that you know you have. Hopper, who says this famous quote, you let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure out that, then there, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? That is the heaviest thing, and look at the implications. We should just end on that, right? I mean, yeah, because... That that sums up the whole... Yeah, because I'll say one thing about that, and we should close, you're right. It's What he just described is one of the things that we want to talk about, which is who are the players, you know, who benefit from tyranny, right? And in this example, it's one group, and it even says a small percentage group. Yeah. That when you are having these systems and processes and procedures to keep these ants busy, they're gonna go about doing that and then that leaves us to do whatever it is that we want. Exactly. Crazy. Amazing. I mean, wow, dude. I mean, that sums up every single thing that we've talked about today and what a coincidence that it's just a cartoon children's movie from the early 2000s and it has this such a deep subliminal message in there. That even from when you're very young, you're taught that there's a hierarchy and yeah. there's some people that are on top and then there's some people that work yeah. in the fields. And it's up to the people to make a change. Yeah, look at to, that. It, all they have to do is find out, get exactly. that little bit of knowledge. Yeah, I think uh, I think tonight, you know, some of the things that we talk about, I'm going to... I'm gonna do the the line, which is some of the things that we talked about today. There, we there's clearly an understanding that it's not just black and white when you're when you're talking about some things, right? Mm-hmm. But especially when you're looking a- around 
the globe and then you're seeing so many of the same things happening you know there's still another side to that i'm not saying empathize with those people i'm just saying that at the end of the day there's just a way how things work we're not here to change anything we're certainly not revolutionaries we are just here to have the conversations that maybe people are afraid to have and i think tonight is a great example of that um obviously i want to thank you both for getting together today i think it was a great conversation that we had um, I want to thank you all for tuning in and staying with us for all this time. And yeah, tune in next week. Uh, we're going to do something exciting again. And as always, my name is Ali Laik and I'm here with Jordan Brown and Corey Bearclaw. Have a phenomenal rest of your night. Peace. Good night.